0: Well, good morning. Hello. (laughs) There we go. Um, Well, hi. My name is Andy Newberry, and I'm a part of the preaching and teaching ministry here at Park Church. Uh, Professionally, I work as an academic tutor. Uh, I first started tutoring, actually, in 1995, uh, way back when I was in seminary. It started off as a part-time gig. But I realized that as I started teaching, I love teaching. And so uh, I was excited to teach anything and everything. So as a seminary student, I taught the Bible and I mentored younger guys. As an academic tutor, I would tutor math, English, history, physics, really anything that I was so excited to learn, I was so excited to teach. Um, I even mentioned in my last sermon a while ago that for five years I was also a ballroom dance instructor where I got to teach swing dancing and salsa and tango and a bunch of other things. I loved teaching, but now, you know, 24 years later, there are moments when I am not so excited about teaching, um, where I still believe that, for me, being an academic tutor is a dream job. I love it. It's exciting. um, But there are those occasional moments where, yeah, I get a bit tired. um, And so this past year, I had a few students, though, who... They really pushed me to rethink and to reinvest my time and efforts into the whole craft of teaching. And in particular, there were two books that I found really helpful. One of them was Grit by Angela Duckworth. And the other is Find Your Why by Simon Sinek. Uh, The book Grit is this great academic study by this Harvard psychologist who looks at really the keys behind success. Like, what is it that drives successful people? And her conclusion was this. Success is found so much more from hard work than from innate talent, which for me in my world affirmed my belief that any of my students can achieve better SAT scores if they put in the right kind of practice for the right amount of time. And uh, that re-motivated me in my teaching. And so then also when I was reading the book Find Your Why, it got me thinking about why I teach. This book encourages the reader to consider the foundational beliefs that drive our behaviors, and then to take all of those and and to distill them into a very simple why statement. And so thinking about, like, what's my why statement? Uh, Over lunch with a friend one day on a Friday afternoon, I I took my shot at articulating what's the why for why I teach. And so I told him this. I said, I believe that any student can succeed if they learn the right skills in the right way and have the right amount of time to practice them. And when that happens, these students learn and they become transformed, not just as students, but as people. They thrive. They become curious about the world and become confident to engage in the world. And every single week, I get to see that. Every single week, I get to be a part of seeing these kids transform. That's why I do what I do. That's why I love what I do. And so for me in taking that time, just a few minutes to think about why do I do what I do, it changed my whole perspective on on my work. And so later that day, it was a Friday afternoon after like a really long work week, I'm sitting at a library with a student and I'm sitting there feeling bad that I only had four more lessons to go. I felt like, ah, I wish I could keep teaching more kids. I'm I'm just so excited to do this because there's something powerful about finding our why. So for you, as you think about all the different what's that you do, ask yourself, why do you do what do you do? Like, What's that foundational belief that drives your behaviors? And so for you teachers, and I know there's a lot of you teachers out there, why do you teach? What is that motivates you? For those of you maybe in the medical profession, Why did you get started in that path? When you think about the big unfolding story of your life, have you found the why behind all of the what that you keep doing? And so over the past few weeks, we here at Park Church, we've been considering the idea of how we can love where we live. And it's useful to ask ourselves, do we know the why that underlies the what that we're doing as we follow Jesus? So in particular, today as we consider the topic of prayer, I'd like us to start with why. In particular, why do we pray for our neighbors? So when we think about why do we pray for our neighbors, it's very simple, it's this. We pray for our neighbors because our neighbors need God and God loves our neighbors. We pray because God loves us and we need God. And so when we pray, we not only experience the love of God for ourselves, but we also experience his love for others as we carry them to God in prayer. We pray for our neighbors because God loves our neighbors and our neighbors need God. And so now that we understand why we pray, we should probably clarify, like, what is prayer? Like, what does it mean to pray? There's a lot of things we could think about when we think about prayer, but essentially it boils down to this prayer is talking with God. Prayer is just talking with God. And there are so many different ways that we can pray. There are so many different postures we can take. It's not limited to eyes closed, hands folded, head bowed. Like, you can pray anywhere, anytime. There's a whole array of ways of doing it. There's a whole host of emotions that we can express. But ultimately, prayer is just simply talking with God. And as a quick disclaimer, no single sermon on the topic of prayer is ever gonna say everything there is to say about prayer. So just lower your expectations. Um, But if we're to summarize this, prayer, it's talking with God. And then we talk with God about our neighbors because God loves our neighbors and our neighbors need God. And so as a church, we've recognized God's call for us to love him and to love our neighbors. And so we've been working diligently to try to love where we live, to fulfill God's call for us to love where we live. And in that process, we hope that more and more people throughout Monmouth County and beyond will experience for themselves the wonderful love of Jesus Christ. And so as we think about how are we going to talk to our neighbors about God, let's also talk with God about our neighbors. Because we all have people we care about. We all have friends family, neighbors, these people who are sick, who are hurting, who are broken, who are in some kind of relational distress, all of whom need love, all of whom need God. And so when we pray, we are carrying these people to God. There's a great picture of what this looks like. It's found in Mark chapter two. If you have a Bible, you're free to read it. It's in Mark two, but I'm just gonna read it out loud. We're not gonna post it up there. But in Mark two, starting in verse one, it tells the story of Jesus and a person uh, who is sick and some friends. It says that when Jesus returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer any room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they laid down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, stand up, take your mat, and walk? But so that that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go home. And he stood up, and immediately he took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Now, there's a lot that we could unpack in that passage, But I'd like us to just focus for today on the beginning of that story. You see, there's this group of friends, and I'm not sure how long this group of friends knew each other, but given that society back then was a lot less transient than our society is today, I'd assume that these guys, they probably all grew up with each other. And one of these guys in the group, he had some kind of illness that left him paralyzed. And as someone paralyzed back then, the only way that you got around was Relying on other people to pick you up and to carry you wherever you needed to go. And so imagine for a moment that you are one of those friends. How would you feel? Like, what are your thoughts? What are your emotions? How do you feel if you're one of the guys that's carrying this man who's paralyzed? Now, maybe there's moments where you would feel pity, where you just feel bad for your friend who can't do those things that you can do. Maybe there's moments where you just feel happy that, hey, this is my friend. I'm so happy to get to help him out. Maybe, though, there's also times where you just you feel frustrated. You feel maybe even hopeless, thinking, will it ever get better for him? Is there anything that could be done? And maybe there are those moments when, if you're honest, you feel kind of tired of having to carry your friend around one more day. And then you feel guilty for feeling tired It's it's a whole host of things, but if you were one of those guys, what would you do if then you hear the story about Jesus, this teacher and healer who is said to be different? What would you do then? Well, we see what these four friends did. They carried their friend to Jesus. And, and not just in a casual way, like they they fought through a crowd. they when they couldn't get around the crowd, they go to someone's house where Jesus is, they ripped the roof off of the house they they did not give up. they were persistent, and they knew that they didn't have the power to heal their friends, but they carried him to the one who did have the power to heal him. They carried their friend to Jesus. And so that scene of friendship. It's beautiful, it's powerful. I have to say, it makes me think of the all-time greatest friendship scene in any movie. Some of you are probably thinking about it right now. Actually, I'm curious as to what some of you are thinking now, but I'll just say what I'm thinking. Um, in The Lord of the Rings, the last movie, there's this epic scene where these two friends, Sam and Frodo, they're exhausted, they're beaten down, they're tired, and they're, it feels like impossible to keep going on their journey. And this this one character, Frodo, he is, exhausted from his burden that he has, but he's got to complete it. And his friend Sam is just thinking like, what can I do? And so Sam says some of the most beautiful words of friendship. And he says to him, you know, come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry your burden, but I can carry you. And with that, he throws him over his shoulder, and he starts walking up a mountain that's actually a volcano. It's, it's this amazing scene of friendship. But, but can I tell you something? That's what prayer can look like. We don't always know what everyone's burden is. We can't always carry the burden that everyone else is carrying. But we can carry our friends, and we can carry them to Jesus. That is what prayer can look like. And prayer could be more than that, but today, that is what prayer can look like. It, It doesn't have to be something magical or mystical or ritualistic. It's carrying our friends to Jesus. Because we all have these friends that we've been carrying, not just in our thoughts, but in our hearts. And we don't always know what to do with that. In prayer, in talking to God, we carry our friends to Jesus. Because broken people need to be carried to a Savior who has been broken for them. And so if prayer is simply talking with God, and if Praying for our neighbors is this beautiful opportunity to carry our friends to God. Then I have to ask kind of a hard question, and this is, I'm including myself in this, but why is it that we don't pray more often? For me, if I had to guess, a big reason for that is that I have misunderstandings about prayer. You see, in my own life, I have certain misunderstandings about prayer. So I can stand up here and I can articulate that prayer, it's as talking with Jesus. But there's this default mode in the back of my head that wants to turn prayer, wants to turn something relational, talking with God, into something ritual prayer. Um, And and when we do that, we transform talking with God, this relational thing, into something ritual, into something religious. And so I think for me, this default mode, it started in my junior year of college. So at the time when I was really growing in my faith and I was getting excited, I was learning a lot, I ended up attending this all-night prayer session. And man, it was great. It was powerful. But to be honest, it was also destabilizing. Because as powerful as that experience was, that all night like big prayer session, that became the metric, the measuring stick, by which I judged my spirituality, by which I judged my relationship with God. And after that, I started evaluating my relationship with God by how much I was praying, by how often I was praying, by how intense my times of prayer were. and it was hard to live up to that. I never really felt like I lived up to that. And my guess is in a group like this, where people have a lot of you have gone to church for some time, maybe you went through some formative church experience where you were growing in your faith, and someone presented to you this amazing view of prayer that was very aspirational, but it it kind of left you feeling more guilty than inspired. And so maybe I'm not the only one here carrying around this idealized image of prayer that's more judging me than inspiring me. And so in a world like this, in a, in a group of people who are trying to follow Jesus like this, Jesus teaches his disciples how we should view things because Jesus understood our tendency to overcomplicate things and to turn relationships into rituals. And so he taught his disciples how to pray and he addressed these misunderstandings about prayer. So we read in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial but rescue us from the evil one for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others neither will your father forgive your trespasses so let's notice a few things that jesus says here about prayer he begins by saying do not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others Jesus begins his teaching on prayer by explaining to us what prayer is not. Prayer is not for show. Prayer is not designed to impress people. Prayer is not something so special and so sacred that only holy, super religious people can do. Prayer is not intended to be idealized, romanticized, or put on a pedestal. And so even by labeling, our talking with God prayer, we may subconsciously associate the opportunity to talk with God as a religious ritual and thereby elevate the ritual at the expense of our relationship. And when we do that, we turn prayer and interactions with God into just religion. C.S. Lewis has a great comment on this where he says, on how people tend to substitute religion for God. He says, at any rate, I can well understand how a man who is trying to love God and his neighbor should come to dislike the very word religion. A word, by the way, which hardly ever appears in the New Testament. He has substituted religion for God as if navigation were the same as arrival, or battle the same as war, or or battle is the same as victory or wooing for marriage, or in general the means for the end. So his point is this, religious practices such as prayer are wonderful and good means to an end, but prayer is a means to an end, it is not an end unto itself. Prayer is not a metric of how good we are, and prayer shouldn't be a goal in and of itself as a final destination. Prayer is not a measure of seeing if you are good, prayer is a tool for doing good. Talking with God is important, not because talking is important, but because God is important. Prayer is powerful, not because prayer is powerful in and of itself, but because God is powerful. Talking with him enables us to experience and to recognize his power at work in us and around us so when i find myself thinking i need to pray more as in i need to be better and more consistent at a particular religious ritual i should say to myself no i need jesus more and when i pray when i talk with him my relationship will be better and so jesus goes on to teach he says that and when you are praying do not heap up empty phrases as the gentiles do for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Jesus goes on to say that praying, talking with God, it's not about how many words we say. It's not even about saying exactly the right words. He addresses this common misconception about prayer that the Israelites had picked up from the Gentiles, the surrounding people's religion. And in that those various non-Jewish religions they, these people, they would summon the gods, their local gods, through incantations. So they believed that they could coerce their local gods to bend to their will if they get to say the right incantation or the right combination of religious phrases and rituals. And, and today we hear this, we hear about reciting incantations, and we think, ah, that's ancient history. But there is a modern version of this that we might fall into. And, and, and I call it the, and it's not just me, it's the vending machine God approach to prayer. And in the vending machine God approach to prayer, it, it looks like this. We think, if I can just say the right words, if I can just find in the Bible the right prayer, I can get God to give me exactly what I want. I don't know where we picked up that idea, but I want to say this. This, the Bible, this is not a spell book. This is not a book of magical incantations that if we can just find the right key verse or the right key phrase, we can get God to do our will because that makes us God and God a puppet. This book, this beautiful book, it tells the story of a relationship that God has initiated with us. And when we talk with God, we get to understand and experience that relationship better. When we read the Bible, when we pray, we find that, It is our wills that are bending toward God. And so Jesus continues and he says, as we pray, we should pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says that we seek for God's will to happen here on earth as it is in heaven. And while that can mean a lot of things, it means at least that in talking with God, We're gonna find that we want his will to happen. And so we're gonna find that our wills are changing. Our wills are aligning with God's will. We begin to want what he wants. And to be honest, sometimes I have to pray just to want to want what he wants. Um, But think of those people right now that are heavy on your heart. Visualize carrying them to Jesus. Visualize Jesus lifting them from your arms. Doing this changes our hearts. Praying like this, carrying people to Jesus, it changes our will. It changes the way we see people. It transforms us. And this is also not to say that in talking with God, that God would never change his heart. And this sounds wild to us sometimes, but the Bible actually has stories. It talks about times when people talked with God and God changed his mind. And when I read stories like that, it destabilizes the philosopher in me, but it warms the humanity in me, because it means that talking with God can actually change the world. And the mechanics of how exactly that works, to be honest, it's a mystery, but the principle holds true. When we talk with God, we can change the world. And so if we can talk with God and change the world, what should we talk about? Well, if you notice anything in this slide here, (laughs) we can talk with God about anything and everything that is on our hearts. God is delighted to hear from us, but in talking with God, it sure helps to know what is on God's heart, and forgiveness is on the heart of God. God desires, God's will is that we forgive those who have sinned against us because God has forgiven those who have sinned against him. In talking with God, we connect with him. We connect with God in his mercy and his grace, and we find this desire to be agents of his mercy and grace in a world that is so desperate for it. And so we come back to our original idea of just Finding our why. When you think about what you do, in a, and in particular, when you think about what you do as a follower of Jesus, why do you do it? So like, Why do you pray? Why do you read your Bible? Why are you here on a Sunday morning instead of at home in your warm beds? That's something that each of you is going to have to answer for yourselves. But I want to tell you why we as Park Church are here. We're here because we believe that God loves you. We are here because we believe that God loves the world. And we believe that God has invited us to share his love with the world around us. And so we talk, with our, we talk with God about our neighbors because we believe that our neighbors need God. And we read the Bible not because we think God is impressed with how much Bible knowledge we can acquire in this life, but because in reading the Bible, we encounter the risen Christ who gives us life so that we can share his good news with the world around us. And we gather each week because in meeting together, we experience connection, not just with other people, but with God's Holy Spirit, who is manifesting his love in one another. I love this passage in 1 John where it says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God is in us and his love is made complete in us every Sunday as we gather together, we get to see that and experience that for ourselves. So here's our call to action, what should we do? Let's talk with God, like it's it's very simple. Let's talk with God because in talking with God, let's bring the people that we've been carrying in our hearts to Jesus. When we pray, you know, we can not just pray for people, but we can pray with people. So let me give just a really concrete, practical piece of advice. When you find yourself, after the service is over, and you're talking with someone, and, and you're about to say, I'll pray for you, don't do that. Ask the person, can I pray with you right now? So for example, my wife Sharon, she's really good at this. Like, I'll be standing around, and I'll see her in conversation with someone who looks stressed. The next thing I know, she's got her hand on their shoulder, and she's <laughs> praying with them, and it's beautiful. And she's not the only one who does it. There are others of you here who are great at doing that, where just instead of, oh, here's a good intention, one day I might actually say something to God about you. No, just (laughs) right now, I'm just going to pray with you. Um, Imagine what it would look like here at Park Church if if every time you came through those doors and you were heavy hearted, you knew that there was someone here who would would just pray with you, who would just say, yep, uh, I'll, I'll talk with God with you right now. And, and some of you may think, I don't know, that feels weird. Like, or some of you are thinking, I don't know if I could pray. It, it really, it could look as simple as this. You have a friend who comes in and then hears you, and, and your friend says, You know, man, I've been having a rough week. My boss is stressing me out. He's driving me crazy. I don't know what to do. And then you say, Wow, oh, man, that, that sounds rough. Can I pray with you? Your friend's probably gonna say, uh, Okay, and, <laughs> and and then just pray, Lord. I pray for my friend. I pray that he and his boss would understand each other better. And I pray that you would give them your peace. Amen. And then then your friend is going to say, that was terrible. Please don't ever do that again. (laughs) Um, Now, how do you think people are going to respond? Like, we're all going to want that. So give people the opportunity to pray for you when you come in heavy hearted. Or be the person who prays for someone when you see them coming in heavy hearted. Because we all want to talk with God, and we all want people to talk with God for us. And so why do we talk with God about our neighbors? We talk with God about our neighbors because God loves our neighbors, and our neighbors need God. So let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you, Jesus, have been praying for us before we even existed. Before we even were born, you were on our heart. We were on your hearts. And so, Lord, uh, we pray for one another right now. We talk with you uh, about the people that we've been carrying in our hearts. Lord, help us to know why you have placed us where we are now. Help us to know why you have given us our particular skills, talents, experiences, educations, and interests. Help us to know why you have placed us as a neighbor to those around us. Lord, thank you for inviting us to talk with you about our neighbors. And Lord, for all of those people that we've been carrying in our hearts, for those who are sick, for those who are hurting, for those who are lonely, for those who are lost, Lord, we carry them to you. And we thank you that in your arms, they are safe. In your arms, they find hope in your arms they find comfort. And so we now give them to you. Thank you, Lord, for knowing their needs and for being the healer of their souls and ours. Amen.